season three, Manana. season three, Manana. somebody hates it, season three, Manana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C, with Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie, it's so much fun that you'll have to pee, it's gonna cure your apathy, and on we, it's the Slumgullions, we're still booking ghosts on the Slumgullions, you're not getting ghosts on the Slumgullions, and welcome to the Slumgullion America's only podcast. Yes, that's right. Every country gets just one. And I'm afraid you people rolled snake eyes. I'm your host, Scott. He's your host, Jeff. And I'm in the future. Ooh. Three hours. Boy, you, you were really titillated by time zones. It's not time zones, man. It's time travel. I'm talking to the past. Whoa. Hi, guys. <laughs> I am the past. People don't listen to me. All my references are old, and I'll be dead soon. So That wasn't quite what I meant, but appropriate. Yeah. But for the present, we're here to talk about Picard, because like I'm going to soon, it just ended. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to see if we... The show immediately takes a dark, dark turn. <laughs> Can really, can anything take a bright, bright turn right now? I don't think so. I'm just going with the theme of the times. Like like, like Dylan, I am the voice of my soon-to-be-dead generation. Hey, at least, at least, if I may quote Tom Lehrer, we will all go together when we go. <clears throat> Actually, I don't think so. I think we're going to go in a staggered formation. So we will stagger and then we'll fall. But I, I, I'm hoping that we don't thanks all go together. Thanks for ruining my Tom Lehrer reference, man. Sorry, Jeez. I'm sorry. No, you I, are Mr. Poopy Pants. I am. I am a little bit. I'm a little on the Poopy Pants side today. But I, I, I bow to no one in my, my love and respect for Tom Lehrer. So I am sorry. I actually feel bad about ruining that reference. <laughs> hey, it's okay. But then there's Maud and then there's Picard. Okay, this show would have been 10 times better if he had just like swanned under the bridge of La Serena in a caftan. If he had worn Maud's 1970s outfits, I would have been going, I don't really care what happens in the show. I'm just here for the fashion. Yeah, Rios came close with his pimp outfit. I gotta say, Rios turned out to be quite a surprise. I thought, uh, you know, here's their little Han Solo monkey. That's fine. Let him, let him fill that slot. But uh, Rios had his own groove going on. I wound up liking Rios much more than I thought I would. But let's get into the show. Let's talk about it instead of talk about, talking about us talking about it, which is usually what we talk well, okay. about. And once again, real fast, we should say, uh, for, for, uh, most of you will remember this, but for those of you who don't, please remember, um, Scott is a Star Trek fan who up until now, and maybe still now, detested Jean-Luc Picard. And I'm not a Star Trek fan at all, though I watch everything. I love Deep Space Nine. That, that that was my Star Trek. That's my only Star Trek. So those are the Star Trek avenues you're coming from from this particular analysis of Picard. Anyway, as I said, you being the hater of Picard, why don't you begin with the with your overview of the season? All right. Well, the, the show started off actually a little a little more strongly, I thought, than uh, Star Trek Herpes in that it could simply pick up where the character had left off. And progress. It didn't have to go back. It didn't. It wasn't constantly doing backsies and filling in stuff and trying to explain why. Yeah, no, this happened in the past, but you didn't know about this because it's really just happening in the present. But it was not a reboot. It did not revisit stuff we've seen a thousand times before. It actually picked up a guy and said, "Hey, 
carry the ball. And he did. That doddering old bastard picked it up and wobbled his way downfield. And I give him credit for that. So already I thought, well, okay, it's Star Trek in the future of the future. I like that already. And I got to say, I I thought it was just going to be nothing but winks and nods and callbacks. It wasn't. It's got its own story. It's got its own arc. It is adding to canon while not canceling canon. And I think this is a little bit more of the way fans would like the franchise to go forward. I will say off the bat that I'm a huge Michael Shaben fan. And he was, at least for for this season, the showrunner. I've loved him since his debut novel, The Mysteries of Pittsburgh. And he's gone from strength to strength. I think I, I always wonder when novelists get into the visual arts because it's not always a smooth transition. But he's <clears throat> written some very tight scripts, I think. The the tight scripts, the good dialogue, the perceptive characterization is complemented by striking visuals. To give you an example that really struck me, there's a scene where Picard is sitting in his study. He's searching for information on the abandoned Borg cube where a lot of the action takes place. And we are in front of him okay. looking through the holographic projection that the computer's thrown up. We see his face through a semi-transparent image of Locutus, Picard, when he was a Borg drone. And it's a layered image, but then it becomes really heartbreaking when you see his hand rise into the hologram and desperately touch his own face where the Borg implants are in the photograph to reassure himself that they're not there or worse, because it reminds him that he always feels them like the, the phantom pain of an amputated limb. It was just stunning. It was such a beautiful image that that conveyed so much information about the character and really set up the breakdown he has when later in the series he steps back onto a Borg cube for the first time since his assimilation. And, you know, as willing and eager as I am to see Picard get uh, the shit kicked out of him emotionally and physically for my amusement, uh, I really began to dread what was going to happen to him when they actually arrived at the artifact. And this scene planted that seed. They knew where they wanted to go with the character. The performances, I think, are uniformly good, which is something that couldn't be said about The Next Generation. And the new cast is interesting because the show is happy to allow them to experience mystery and doubt. And that's that's not necessarily a slam on previous Star Treks. It's more, I think, a sign of how TV as an entertainment medium has grown up in the 80s. I mean, uncertainty and delayed gratification aren't common elements of a television. I mean, this this show, Picard, would not have made it through the first 10 minutes of a Next Generation writer's room session. Whoever pitched this stuff would have been shut down in an instant. But here's, I guess, the nut graph, as we used to say in journalism. The show has done the impossible. It has made me like Picard. You actually said it. I didn't think you, I ha, I, th- I thought there was a possibility uh, it, that not, that could it, happen, but I didn't think I would hear the words actually escape your lips. Wow. Well, to help me express those words, I admit I did pour There's myself wrong with that. a uh, quarantine cocktail here. I, 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 I to, understand. To wash down I, the crow, I, I took I mean. some herbal medication myself. Um, very good. So when I say it makes me like Picard, it doesn't make me retroactively Absolutely. like the Picard of TNG. The, it it made you like him now. Maybe like him now. Yeah, he's no longer a stentorian delivery system for bombast and self-righteousness. Now he's he's a withered husk 
stuffed with failure and regret and the ashes of idealism. Um, <laughs> in other words, he's finally somebody I can relate to. I mean, Patrick Stewart has always been an exceptional, extremely watchable actor, but he put those gifts to evil use in TNG. I mean, swaggering around, bellowing, moralizing, what a pain in the ass. But the stuff he's doing in this show is remarkably minimalist. The the scene where he goes on the Borg ship and suffers yep. that breakdown when he has flashbacks to his time in the collective could have been a big, meaty, juicy bit of, of acting. He, he could have really he did not Shatner it at all. Scenery, but no. He 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 did not Shatner. It it there was there were barely trace elements of Shatner in it. He it was so subtly done. He just shrinks into himself. His head almost retracts into his shoulders like a turtle. And when Hugh reassures him he's okay, the most he can manage is a tight, barely perceptible nod in acknowledgement. Like, I hear you. I don't know that I believe you. And I, I so far have pretty much liked what they've added to canon. For instance, whether this was ever set up or not, I don't know. But I find it interesting that the Romulans are like the characters in Dune after, <laughs> after the anti-Butlerian jihad. If, if I'm remembering that correctly, you, you know what I mean? They, they, they don't trust computers and they don't use them except as glorified Texas Instruments calculators. And, and what happened to make them so opposed to AI is, is an interesting question. And and maybe it's just another piece of world building of Star Trek, but at least they are world building and not going back and contradicting canon. For once, they're they're actually building on it. The, the Romulans are a good candidate for this kind of thing because they have always been defined as what they are not. They're Vulcans, but they're not. They're Romans, even down to the stupid ranks. Yes, Centurion. But they're not. They're a socially rigid, class-based society ruled by a military caste like Shogunate Japan. Eh, but they're not. Basically, Romulans are the <laughs> remnant table of the Joanne fabrics of the galaxy. Oh, I'm, I'm going to just randomly when they occur to me. Guys, I have no, I don't have a lot of notes and I, I apologize. Usually we try to be more systematic. I'm just going to blurt this stuff out when it pops into my head. But I, I have a bunch of likes. One of them is I really enjoy the flashes of <laughs> yeah, body horror yeah, yeah. in this show. Soji's image of herself as a disassembled doll at a table. The, the freed Borg with, with hideous scars, missing limbs, skin, grown over vacant eye sockets like Claude Rains and Phantom of the mm-hmm. Opera. It's gross for TV. It's gross. And I, I kind of loved it. I do have a question, though. Since people barely even use them now, I find it kind of hard to believe people that in the 24th century <laughs> still say Polaroids of their trip to Quantum Coney Island or whatever. I mean, 40 years in the future, people keep dozens of them just lying around loose. I, I guess after the Third World War on Earth, mankind lost the technological well, knowledge Kodak. of how to make photo albums. Kodak funded the recovery. Um, right. <laughs> it gives me hope because it indicates that in the coming nuclear there holocaust, is. the first target will uh, be Hobby Lobby. The show did something that genuinely surprised me. This is my first. This is my favorite first season of Star Trek, period. I mean, I had some issues with it, like I have with, with all Star Trek, but I got to say, I fucking loved this show. First season of TNG was an abomination. The even- first season of Deep Space Nine wasn't even that great, but I loved it because I just, I just instantly loved all those characters. So I got through their bad bottle episodes. <laughs> right. I think I liked Enterprise more than a lot of fans, but I didn't love yes, it. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't really get good until the fourth season agreed 
So this is startling. But then, you know, if they haven't figured out how to Star Trek yet after 50 years, they're never going to figure it out. But the one thing that I want to talk to you about, because we're going to keep we, we need to we need to keep this on time. So I, the one thing I do want to talk to you about specifically, though, is the last couple of episodes, because we've kind of talked about the first half, but I real I have not talked to you about the end of the show yet. So, OK, before we get into that, I have a few issues from earlier episodes. We were up to about I think episode five or so last time we talked four or five I think so yes so we're looking at the back half of the season which you know t- 10 episodes that's um, again fairly British sized in its yes. scope so does the samurai kid Eleanor or Elrond or whatever that hell he's called does he have an Australian accent he's trying to hide or is he trying to do a British accent and keeps forgetting it or what? I think from what you said, he's or he's trying to hide his accent because I saw him interviewed on something and he has an accent. It's really hard to track because it just it comes and goes. But whatever. That was something I didn't like. Something I did like was uh, this is small and petty. I'm glad they let Rios smoke his damn cigar. I, I am too. That was, a, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I realize you don't want TV characters making it seem cool to the kids, which is another sign that this is a series for adults. People smoke. They drink. They fuck. They betray each other. They abandon their children. They make bad decisions. It's it's a sci-fi fantasy on the edge of the universe, but it oddly feels more real than Star Trek has a right to, and far more real than Star Trek usually does, especially Star Trek Discovery. Even with its callbacks, because, I mean, I think what they did with Seven of Nine was phenomenal. And, uh, oh my God, the episode with Riker and Troy, that's the best written I think Troy has ever been. I really enjoyed seeing Troy and Riker again, but I have to ask, why does everyone who spent their life in space, which is presumably something they liked, or they wouldn't have done it, always retire to some rustic Lincoln log cabin on planet Poconos? Well, they had, they had their reason. Come right. on, it is explained. I know, but that usually they don't. So, so That's I mean, very, uh, you're right. If you lived your whole life in space, why, did you, why would you retire to like, a space station? Oh, I just like having bulkheads around me. I don't know. I was genuinely blown away by Marina Sturtis's performance in that episode. I mean, she fucking nailed it. If you had never seen the character before, you go, wow, she's unusually motherly. But then, of course, she she has a daughter. She's lost a child. So naturally, she would sort of embrace this, this little lost lamb that is Soji. But knowing Troy and her background, it was fun to see the counselor come out. And I liked the way she underplayed. And I was waiting to see what her reaction was when she met Soji. Because I, I remember there was a, an episode on uh, The Next Generation where an actual fully functional Betazoid comes on the ship and is greeting everybody and then turns around and sees Data and jumps out of his skin because he had no, no idea he was there. Right. Because he had no emotional aura. Um, right. So I wondered, is she going to look at this girl, see that she's not emitting uh, normal sort of psychic energy or whatever it is that she interprets? Is she going to know she's an android? And and they, they gave her that moment. They let her do it. And I like that. Mm-hmm. She And yet she still psychoanalyzed her. But then she counseled Data. So it's it's not her first time with the robot Rodeo. <laughs> like I said, I, mean, I was even even with the callbacks, they advanced them. Now I have to admit, Narek became very interesting towards the end of the of the series. I kind of wish a little bit of the information you got at the end had been sprinkled in the beginning. I do too, but let, let's get to Narek in a minute because you brought up a really good point. When you can you bring back characters from the old series, 
it just feels like a very special episode. Yep, uh, yep. A special cameo appearance by, and it didn't feel like that. I believed the reunion. I believed a lot of time had passed since they'd seen each other. But mm. I also believed, especially the way Riker and Picard interacted, that they have one of those friendships where it doesn't matter how much time has passed because it's always like no time has passed at all when you finally do see each other again. And I didn't mind that there was a kid. The kid was not annoying to me. I, I don't know how they managed that. I mean, it was and it, it was a smart kid, but it didn't it didn't have Wesley Crusher syndrome. It right. she she. I, I like the fact that she had suffered a loss and she bonded with this synthetic being because she had lost her sister. Also, I like the fact that she was sort of fascinated by her. I can't remember the daughter's name. I can't either. I like the fact that she was fascinated by Soji and yet treated her like a person. Didn't treat her the way, say, uh, Bruce Maddox treated Data in that long ago episode, Measure of a Man where he was also fascinated by him, but treated him like a machine, treated him like, like an appliance. So I really did like that. I liked where Riker and Troy had ended up. Um, mm-hmm. They were the same people, but they were also changed. They had experienced loss, but they had not allowed it to embitter them because they weren't the kind of people who would do that. They had experienced loss and adversity all through their careers, or at least what we'd seen of them. I liked that they were the same people, but just older. It really, mm-hmm. it really was like renewing an old acquaintance. That was the good part. And, and this isn't bad, but I'm going to do a, a brief one-act play for you. Oh, all right. All right. Oh, boy, theater. This is me watching episode six. <clears throat> oh, they're not going to kill Hugh. Oh, no. They're not going to kill Hugh. Oh, no. <laughs> they're not going to kill Hugh. Oh, no, they killed Hugh. Thank you, Curtin. That was beautiful. I I understand I went through that same series of emotions myself. I know. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to put this on pause because now i got to go through the five stages of grief. Exactly. And I didn't didn't quite know how to feel about it. But then I thought, no, they want you to hate that woman. And it succeeded, even though she was, she had some dimension to her. She wasn't purely villainous. She had good motivations, which makes for good villainy. But yeah, oh, I, I hated her guts after that. And and they did such a lovely job with you. Without a huge amount of screen time. They did. They reminded you why, they you, really did. why you liked him when you first met him. And they gave him purpose and, and dimension and personality. And you really felt it when he was killed. That sucked. And then they kill him in the most horrible way possible. So, no, I'm yeah, I mean, I didn't like it, but it felt right for the story. There were little things that I kept going, really? But but they were right for the story, so I, I let them ride, which, which is a sign that a show doesn't have to be perfect because it has gotten me on its side and I'm mm-hmm. willing to I'm willing to do some of the work for them like okay there, there was there was one scene and this is the, again this is this is petty the show brought out many emotions in me including my pettiness you know how omnivores get a certain gleeful glint in their eye when vegan friends fall off the wagon Jeez. <laughs> yeah it's like oh look who's eating veal and you know they go I'm pregnant leave me alone ooh look who's eating someone else's baby <laughs> I I kind of felt that way when I saw bunnies running around planet Riker and then Riker's kid handed him the skinned bloody corpse of a rabbit and he, he made pizza out of it. The reason I bring that is up because it just reminded me of that episode where they find I think it's the one where they find a, a ship full of frozen one percenters in space. And oh, I remember uh, that yeah, yeah. I, I think one of them asked for a steak or something and Riker sniffily replies, We no longer enslave animals for food. 
No, we just send our 12-year-old daughter out into the woods to shoot them with arrows until they die. <laughs> Time changes a man. Yeah. Oh, here's something else I liked. I like the way Agnes appears to be having a crime and punishment guilt meltdown after she kills Maddox. I mean, on TV, when somebody kills somebody, you rarely see them go through visible grief for the person they killed. Okay, I got you now. Even if that person was just their own self-image. I mean, I thought at first she was mourning the fact that she could never be who she thought she was again. She, you know, she was trying to, she was a scientist who was trying to improve life for humanity. And here she takes life. But then you find out that he was also her, her lover and that she would have gone to that planet with him if she hadn't been so afraid. So again, they peeled the onion on this show. They didn't just shovel it toward you. They let you discover it. They had confidence enough in their story to slowly reveal it. They weren't going, no, 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 we got to keep their attention. So I like that. I liked the confidence they had. And that confidence was rewarded by my continuing attention. I didn't get bored. I didn't go, oh, come on. Oh, here's something else I liked. I'm sorry, this is this whole show is just going to be me going, oh, this is what I like too, which is completely the opposite of what I usually do. And I'm sorry for breaking format. But this was a big moment. How long have I waited 20, 30 years, that Lady Admiral in episode eight fulfilled my dreams by saying (laughs) the following line. Oh, God. Admiral Picard, with all due respect, and at long last, shut the fuck up. (laughs) I knew knew it. I knew it. I've never felt so seen. Oh, yeah, I have to admit, I I giggled loudly. Yeah. I mean, there there were a lot of mild giggles in the show. I mean, there there were some jokes that landed, and there was some dumb stuff, but there were things that were just slightly silly, but in a good way. Like, I liked the group therapy session that Raffi moderates. Oh, God. With all the the emergency holograms on Rio's ship trying to find out what his deal is. I thought that was a really interesting way to present the information. That that was just some damn fun exposition. Yes. The, the show fought, has found clever ways to both conceal information and reveal information. It wasn't, again, it wasn't just a steam shovel dumped in your lap. However, there were other, there's some questions like, okay, speaking of the last two episodes, this, this, this stuck in my craw in episode nine. How the hell does a robot perform a mind meld on a human? Yep. Yep. Doesn't have a mind, let alone psychic powers. I thought that was pushing it. That was maybe going a little too far. I go, eh, I'm going to do some work well, for you, but not that much work. That, that, and the the magic hand-wavy wish-granting tool. Oh, God, was that lazy. I mean, maybe it wasn't lazy. Maybe it was just... No, it was lazy. It was lazy. That, well, let's, let's call it for what it the was. Only, that was fucking lazy. The only reason I would not call it lazy, and I agree with you it is, but I will say this for them. They can take refuge in the excuse that, hey, we stuffed the first nine episodes so full to bursting with stuff that, you know, just let us wriggle out of this one. Don't make us pay <laughs> off everything. It was so stupid. But that leads into something else. Let, all right, let me get the biggest gripe off my chest. Well, hang on. Hang on real fast, real fast. Let me throw this out first as a joke before you get into your legitimate gripe. Go ahead. The one thing that I, and other people have made this joke too, but I thought the same damn thing watching the final episode, so I'm going to say it. This is the best adaption of the Mass Effect video games I've ever seen. <laughs> the hell was going on? 
with they set up the biggest space battle in Star Trek history between vast Romulan and Federation fleets and in classic Star Trek fashion. Picard says, wait, wait, wait. What if instead of an epic, super cool action sequence, I just talk for 10 minutes? <laughs> you see, he got his old mojo. Yeah, I'm kind of like, oh, man, uh, why couldn't you have died 60 seconds earlier? Thematically, though, it kind of fits. Oh, thematically, they're on solid ground. I, I will say this. It did give Riker a big damn hero moment that I enjoyed. Yes, it did. Having having yes, Riker show up at the head of the cavalry was nice. It was a stupid deus ex machina, but I enjoyed it. And stupid. on that, did you notice that they were all the same goddamn ship? Yep. That was a little bit... Uh, really? <laughs> just really? From cut and paste? Exactly. They had the models and there was just some guy at the special effects house going, Control-C... Control V, Control C. Absolutely. And this, what really sucks is, you know, you just know if this would have been Deep Space Nine, we would have seen at least part of that battle. Yes, exactly. That battle would have started before Picard shut it up with this talking. Exactly. That's again, that's why DS9 will still always be my favorite. They would have at least gone there for a couple of minutes. Very true. And also, and also, in addition to being to being, you know, the, the mass affected adaptation, the space orchids. What did you think of the space orchids? I thought that was the kind of idea that someone pitches when everybody wants to go to lunch. Well, what? Come on, guys! No, get you know the showrunners up there at the whiteboard. Come on, no, we got to nail this down. They got to have some kind of defensive thing, but it's got to be weird and kind of out there. Well, what if it's like, you know, drones, but big? Nah, nah, nah. We use drones later. Yeah, we can't do that. All right. Well, what if it's just they have just ships? No, no, they're, they're not militarized. They're, they're, not, they're, they're like children. We make that point, too. Okay. Well, what if it's, uh, I don't know, uh, looks around, looks around, looks around, sees somebody's, the pattern on someone's blouse. What if it's orchids? All right. What's everyone want for lunch? We're, we're ordering from Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay, it's a weird sci-fi. Fine. All right. Fine. You know what? Here's the other thing. When you said if that had been Deep Space Nine, there would have been a battle. If it had been the Orville, there would have been a battle. Point taken. Anyway. At least for a few minutes. That, that, but Mercer wouldn't have given the right speech to shut it up. No, though. no. He wouldn't have. Because he knows we don't want to see a speech. We want to see a fight. And not with flowers. We don't want to see him fighting flowers. It's like, I mean, unless this is the last act of Little Shop of Horrors... I don't want to see someone fighting a flower. <laughs> okay. And now here's the big question. This is, this is the moment where when I, when I spoke to you about the finale before you saw it, I said that I wasn't sure how I felt about it. Yes. What? Picard bot. We'll get, we'll get to the scene with data in a second, but just the, the idea of Picard bot. How do you feel about this? I have two things I want to say about this. One is, we always knew Star Trek obeyed Rule 34. I mean, as far back as that underground comic, Kirk and Spock slash comic book, where we learned Spock's dick comes to a sharp point, like he's going to fuck Kirk, then go kill a vampire with it. Oh my God, I think I actually remember oh, that. How could you, that. One scene never forgotten. Believe me, if you ever haunted a con back in the days. I've, I have seen that. I just haven't thought about that in your god decades thank you for bringing well, up frightening memories I, I didn't think about it until this moment but until picard this current show we never knew just how deep this porn fetish goes in the franchise 
But uh, hey, if you've been waiting 30 years to see Picard's wizened old carcass crammed into a Speedo, your patience and your thirst has finally been rewarded. And the second thing? The second thing is, what the hell was the point of that? Picard has a brain aneurysm that's ready to pop subplot. I mean, I know it was a cheap and easy way for him to make a conveniently timed ultimate sacrifice just to make all the people who are looking at their watches during his speech feel like jerks. But it was, how do I put this without being offensive? Uh, Intensely stupid. It's like, you know he's going to be saved. They've already announced season two. He's, right. It's it's like that line in um, the, the MST episode, Sinbad. And he goes, I'm not worried. My name's in the title. But uh, it's like, hey, Jean-Luc, we put you in a one-of-a-kind android body. But it's old and frail and has no superhuman powers. And it's programmed to die in four years like a, a replicant. You're welcome. The fuck was it even for? I mean, I was actually more touched by Data's death in the finale than I was by Picard's, and not just because I knew Picard's death was bullshit. I just felt they handled it better. I, I really felt for him. Yes, no, 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 absolutely. And, by the way, Soji was singing That Blue Skies. Oh, really? That was Soji, yes. yes. Oh, interesting. Which I think is an absolutely beautiful piece what of What a lovely uh, just symmetry yes. there. She's sort of his daughter or granddaughter. Yeah, that's very nice. Exactly. I, I do have to say, speaking about speaking about death, I figured we'd lose more cast members on this journey. But basically, everybody's on board La Serena at the end. Even yeah. Agnes, who murdered a guy. But apparently, we've all decided to forgive and forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Now, the one thing that I was going to that I need to say about Picard bot and this is this is what I why I wasn't sure if I liked it or not. Uh, I figured I would be interested in it if they do something with they it. They better. If they actually do it, is he in the same, you know, what is he now? Like, I was I was worried that, you know, they'll go into season two and nothing, it'll just be the same, you know, they won't ever mention it again. They can't make an issue of his age anymore. They can't say, oh, I'm too old for this shit, or I can't get up those stairs, or whatever. But, you know, they never did anyway, because he, he got thrown across an entire concrete paved esplanade yes, and yes. was fine. He just got knocked out. So really, he, he had superpowers to begin with. But I will say this. They, they did one thing that, that justified it. I mean, I, I'm a sucker for a good callback. I will accept something. I will accept a stupid setup if you pay it off nicely. And when he wakes up in the robot body and the first person he sees is Soji and he says to her, am I real? Yes. I go, okay. That's a nice way to tie the theme up. You handled that well. Picard, the show. And uh, according to Michael Chabon himself, this was a recent interview with him, uh, this is not something that is going to be forgotten. Okay. Well, they remembered his brain abnormality, so... I, no, exactly. I mean, I was surprised they brought back in, but no, it was nice to actually hear because I'm like, they could do, they could do something interesting with this. They could. I mean, Picard's not going to be as freaked out about it, I suspect, as some characters would be because he was never squeamish about data. Right. In some of these stories where people wind up either with, you know, a massive amount of cybernetic implants are actually in a robot body they feel very alienated from their humanity and they kind of set this up when we had that scene that we talked about in the last show where he is talking to seven of nine and she says uh-huh. when you were restored after you after you were rescued from the collective do you feel like you got your humanity back and he said yes all of it no 
but we're but, oh. but we're working on it, aren't we? So I I wonder I, is that going to bring up more flashbacks to when he was a Borg, or or is it not really an issue? It's just like he's got a titanium hip or a knee replacement. I don't know. I just I'm just I'm just glad to hear from him that they're not going to let this drop. You know, I didn't. Here, here's how much faith the show has surprisingly given me in its creative team. I didn't for a second worry that they were going to bring okay. up the drop. I figured, all right, if they're if they're doing this, I don't see what the reason is, but they must have a reason, and it's I'm sure it will play out in some way. Maybe not. Maybe it won't be worth it, but somehow this will have repercussions in the second season. Uh, and okay, I am officially going to be time dick, and I am going to and I'm going to pull us into fascinating, irritating over season one of Picard. Uh, I already gave you all my fascinating and irritating. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, in the first in the first half. Of so the go. Show. So it's I'm going to go quickly. I'll give you one more irritating. I, I not yet. I'm going no, no. First. I'm going. No, first wait, wait, wait. I don't have an irritating, but I do have um, a fascinating. A fascinating. Okay, but I'm still going okay, first. Okay, but I, I would just like to say, <laughs> I would just like to say that I hope and pray that one of the shows in season two is called Time Dick. <laughs> I feel like Time Dick is a great idea. In fact, I would like... You know what? Screw that. You can't have it, Picard. We're going to develop our own Time Dick show. It's like it's like Time Cop, but God, he's a dick. Yes. yes. Or, he's, or, or, or he's just a film noir dude. You get, you get Tim Thomas and you know, Jack Death. Right. Jack Death. Time Dick. <laughs> there you go, Time Dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My fascinating thing is actually my favorite moment in the entire series. Oh, okay. Because I really want to see if they do anything with this. And it was in the final episode, and it was Seven and Raffi holding hands. Yeah. Had, had they ever set up Seven as a... Uh... No. Okay. No. All right. Well... I, I don't... I don't... I, I, I Granted, I never... I really didn't pay attention to Voyager, but I don't remember her... No, I take that back. I think she had a romance with Chakotay in one episode. Oh, yeah, that does sound familiar. But you know what? They don't even have to set it up because it's just it's a different time. Not not only in, in the show. I mean, it's it's the future of the future. Nat- naturally, people are more pansexual. But our time is different than it was when these shows were being shot in the 80s and the 90s. So it was actually just another subtle sign of progress. I mean, come on. Let us let us not forget the original series and that kiss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. True. And this is and this was just two chicks holding hands, so nowhere near as bad. Deal with that. No, but I genuinely, I'm like, okay, I want to see where this goes, because if they do anything with that, that could be a fascinating relationship. Two deeply damaged women. It could be fascinating. It could be very interesting, or it could be way too much drama for me. But we'll see. We'll see. Well, uh, so again, this that's, that's which where you have your faith. That's why I'm like, I, uh, yeah, they could they could do something interesting with it. My irritating thing, honestly, is Narek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he, I, I could not stand him at all in like most of the series. But then, like I said, towards the end, when you got all that information, I'm like, okay, I like him now. Why couldn't you just throw him this? That just bugged me. That I thought was just bad character development. I don't know that I that it bothered me to the same extent. I felt like Narek was something of a cipher, but was intended to be. I thought they're not showing us a lot of character development, but I think that's because he's a whole card. I suspected something was going to happen with him. Gotcha. And and he was a spy, and they're, by their very nature, hard to read. I, I agree. It would have been nice to feel more for him earlier. Well, for me, it was, for me, it wasn't even feeling anything. It was just making him interesting. 
As I mean, I just wasn't interested in the character at all until, like I said, we got those revelations. All that I was like, oh, all right, now I now I'm intrigued. I was fine with it. He he had the conflict with his sister. She she loved him, but had contempt for him. You didn't know why. Well, we found out. Yeah, again. See, this is we, this is this 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 is my ne- not real. It's not really an irritating. This is one of my negative things. I just I didn't give a shit about that relationship at all. Nor did I. That whole that whole subplot did nothing for me. Individually, they were fine as villains. But yes. They spent a lot of time on their relationship, and it didn't really go anywhere until the very end when you found out that that grotesque initiation ceremony where you know half the graduating class goes insane yeah that he washed out of that and yet didn't lose didn't mm-hmm. lose his mind so i'm not i'm wondering how that happened or what did he just lose his nerve and didn't go through the, i mean there's unanswered questions that i would have that would have made him more intriguing however in the framework of the story he did what he needed to do and the fact that i didn't know much about him early on gave me room to question his motives and wonder if he was playing his sister because i kept thinking oh, he must be lying to his sister because there's a lot of scenes of them together with him her pushing him accusing him of dragging his feet or failing or not having his heart in it i i think we were supposed to think that because we're then supposed to be surprised that he actually tries to kill her soji gotcha so i don't know i mean yeah it, it could have been handled better but it, it was not in any by any means a deal breaker for me i think just because uh, like 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 you said i mean all of the other characters even his sister separately were interesting he was just the one that i never got a handle on or that never stuck out for me until that final part that that was like the one character i'm like okay i just don't i'm not relating to you at all dude everybody else i'm on board with except you why yeah and given the amount of screen time he enjoys through the throughout the series they could have and you were expecting them to do more with him but i can i i can't actually i can't actually see your point as well so you said you had a fascinating you wanted to throw in uh i have completely forgotten it <laughs> sorry well i like to <laughs> did derek die oh Nerick. no no Nerick's no Nerick's still that's alive. what i thought okay uh, the sister's dead. That was fine. Somebody had to die. That was another thing. I mean, it was sort of matchy-matchy. It was a little bit like dyeing your purse to match your shoes. It was a little much that at the very end, everybody's got their grieving partner. They're grieving two by two. So Rios and Seven are talking and she, we see her kill somebody basically for revenge in the first episode right. which is introduced. She kills that used Borg parts dealer who murdered her adoptive child. And she killed the sister, not out of any necessarily personal sense of revenge, but because she deserved to die. And she was said she was tired of killing people just because they deserved to die, which was an interesting glimpse into what goes on with the Fenris Rangers, this vigilante group she's right. part of. I, I did like the fact that there was bits of exposition dropped that were there if you wanted to pick them up. And if not, it was just a line or two. You can just go on with the, with the story. It's kind of like playing a video game. You know, you can play the main story or you can take the side quests. But I did like the fact that she was sort of just, she was up to here with death. And yet she wasn't going to quit. When she said that, I thought, oh, are they just going to retire the character now? She used up. But I think that put her in a place where she is now a better companion for Picard. Because she's sort of like, uh, it's like the wives say in Manos, the hands of fate. <laughs> Killing doesn't help anymore. She's reached that point. Oh, okay. And on that note, time dick ah, says we're done. I just, that that that's Scott. I'm time dick. And before we go, I just want to say Scott and Jean Luc sitting in a tree. K i s s t n g. 